going on guys welcome back to the fieldcraft survival podcast i'm your host for the ad space today austin and i'm sitting down again with my friend kevin uh kevin estella what's up dude what's up austin welcome back guys so we're gonna jump right into these sponsors man and we and, and again we do these sponsors to be able to provide um, these podcasts for you guys for free and a lot of our content we do for free it's like a solid 85 90% of our content we're doing for free and and we have great sponsors like all the guys we're going to talk about today that allow us to continue giving you guys a lot of free content so uh, first up is Triarc Systems and uh, you know I met these guys a couple years ago uh, when I first got on with Fieldcraft and Chris Reeves I mean and the rest of the team over there great dudes they make some of the best weapon systems that I've ever handled ever used and you know I've been traveling around with Raul and the rest of the guys for like I said, a couple years now, and I've watched these guys use and abuse these weapon systems, and they just keep keep going. Yeah, I had a chance recently to uh, check out Mike's Tri Eleven, and you know I'm a I'm a big 1911 nerd, and I'm I'm someone who likes the old school like World War II style, like mm-hmm. pre uh, <laughs> Beaver Tail safety and everything like that. But there's something like next level about Triarchs, uh, Triarch yeah. 11s in particular. Yeah. Um, I really want one, and you know, I don't know if I'm going to go the 45 route or if I'm going to go the the nine millimeter. Uh, nine, nine, I can't talk nine millimeter route, but uh, whichever route I go, I think I'm going to be pretty damn pleased with it. Yeah, well, we all know uh, 45 caliber is the Lord's caliber, so that's right. Um, you might you, have to go with that. And you carry a 45 because they don't make a 46. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid that's bumper right, sticker man. talk, but whatever. <laughs> all right, guys, so you can head over to TriarchSystems.com. Use code FIELDCRAFT, and it'll save you 5% on your next build over at Triarch. Next up is our friends over at KC Highlights. Um, I met KC, the guys over, I met Taylor and Ali and some of the other crew over there um, a little over a year ago, and I got to go to their um, their home base and their HQ, and, dude, there's so much nostalgia in that building. Um, you know, everybody knows that smiley face, light cover, and, uh, I mean, there's not enough good things to say about Casey highlights. Yeah. The, uh, the Casey highlights, I mean like industry standard, you know, we, we look at Swiss army knives as almost like, okay, how do other folding knives kind of fall in line with that one? Like how do they compare? Mm -hmm. I think every light is compared to Casey highlights. Exactly, man. I mean, it's, it's an age old thing. Everybody that's into overlanding knows who they are. They have a really good footprint, but not only just a footprint, but I, I think I say this every time, but they're just good people. Do you remember the first time you saw Casey highlights? Uh, I do. Uh, I th- oh gosh, man. I was probably like eight, I think. Um, saw them on a old Tacoma, uh, back on a to the future. Oh, it might've been. That yeah. was, that was the truck that Marty McFly got at the end with the Casey highlights. Oh shit. Yeah. So I wanted lights on the front of my truck for a long Dude. time. I still haven't put them on, but I'm going to because of this hookup with Casey. I didn't highlights. even think of that. Hell yeah, man. Well, now I need another Tacoma uh, <laughs> to, to build them on. So, all right guys, we'll head over to CaseyHighlights.com. Again, use code fieldcraft and that'll save you 10% off your purchase at CaseyHighlights.com. And last but not least is our friends over at Uncana. Um, if you guys are f- familiar with any type of uh, CBD product, these guys make some of the best in the business. Um, I've used it uh, and have been using it for a while now. Uh, great product, and it's helped me out a lot. And Kevin, I know you've been using it a lot recently. Yeah, George Bell actually uh, came in the office the other day and he was like, hey, I got this uh, this tincture, you want it? 
and I was like, yeah, I'll try it out. So uh, it's a full spectrum tincture. And, you know, I've heard stories about, you know, CBD, like, oh, it's uh, it relieves pain and puts you at ease. Um, I take it every single night now before I go to sleep and I sleep so soundly throughout the night. I know some people like melatonin and whatnot, but melatonin, like if you wake up early, you're groggy. CBD just puts you to sleep and just, you know, there's no weird effects or anything like yeah. that. I'm really, I'm really impressed with it. And uh, I'll continue to use it. Yeah, I've been using their salve like on the joints, and and I got a couple bum knees. I just got those weak genetics, I guess you know. And I'm the only Native American that I know that can't run. So, um, but yeah, awesome stuff. So uh, go over to uncanna.com, and again, use code Fieldcraft, and it'll save you 10% off your purchase at checkout at uncanna.com. So uh, the podcast today, you sat down with our friend Amber. Um, and she's kind of our family preparedness, um, kind of taps into that kids uh, arena, you know, and she's got some kids of her own and she's really been working with her children and, and in our community to help build the community and their understanding of survival preparedness and how it applies to families and children. Yeah. And something that comes up all the time is like, if you have kids, what age is it appropriate to teach kids certain skills? And how do you go about being the teacher if you're not a teacher? So uh, Amber and I, we had a chance to sit down and, and talk about like what's age appropriate, maturity appropriate, how to get kids into the outdoors, how to make things fun for them. Um, you know, it's easy to think about like your survival skills from an adult perspective, but you got to sometimes bring it down to that kid level. And, you know, that's really like the heart of this this podcast. But we talk about all sorts of stuff. I mean, Amber's got a wealth of knowledge in other areas. So I think you're going to be impressed when you, you hear some of the stuff that we come up with here. Yeah, right on, man. So here you guys go, Kevin Estella and Amber. Hey, guys, this is Kevin Estella with Fieldcraft Survival. And today I am joined by one of our resident experts here, uh, and that is Amber. What's up, Amber? Hello. For those of you that are listening and you're not familiar with Amber, uh, you should be because Amber puts out a lot of awesome content and she brings in the female perspective, uh, which is very important since it's not just a bunch of dudes running around out there. Um, so we're looking today at, at, at talking about a whole bunch of stuff, but the primary focus, if you're just tuning in, primary focus is going to be on how you can teach the younger generation survival skills, emergency skills, bushcraft skills, and so forth. So uh, Amber, want to give the listeners, for those of them that haven't heard you, I uh, want to give them a little background in terms of like your kids and your interests and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. I was raised in Louisiana, very rural. Um, I live like five miles away from where I grew up. So you can imagine that I'm just part of that real deeply rooted culture. Um, just living on the land is part of life for us. I have three children. They're eight, six, and three. And nature is our playground. That's awesome. Yeah. The, uh, the South is incredible. It's, it's very alive. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of fire ants or chiggers. Um, I, have you ever alligators or uh, yeah, snakes that too? Well, just for a second, mosquitoes. Yeah, that too. I, I don't mind the snakes so much or the mosquitoes, but the alligators. Now, deer ticks. Deer ticks. We have in Connecticut. I mean, come on. I lime. Want, it wasn't lime in Connecticut. Yes, yeah. yes. it's still in Connecticut. It I hasn't mean, yeah, been, that's where it was named from. That's right. And and I grew up um, probably less than thirty miles from there. And I will tell you that I've had all sorts of ticks on me as a kid. So I don't mind the ticks, but the alligators. Yeah. It's essentially a dinosaur. Uh, I follow. <laughs> it's prehistoric. Yeah. I follow Nature is Metal on Instagram. It's 
probably one of my favorite accounts and definitely not for kids. So if you're saying, oh, he just said nature is metal and you show it to little kids, little kids are probably going to be scared out of their minds. But nature is metal always has pictures of alligators like coming out of the water, <laughs> grabbing things like we're talking about an animal that lives partially on land, partially on water. It drags you underwater as it's crushing you. Death rolls. Oh. Makes yeah, you hard, rot before hard pass. It, yeah. Hard pass. It's, 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 I've had a friend describe it before where she said, I feel like everything in Louisiana wants to kill me. <laughs> it's kind of like Australia. I was about to say, that's how I viewed Australia. I never viewed Louisiana that way, but it's actually really funny. We have two bayous or coulees, like big irrigation ditches that run through the farm and it were right near a flood zone. And so when it floods, all the water comes up. We have 14 acres of stocked fish ponds. And so the, the gully will meet with the fish pond, become one, and the alligators will just cross over. And, you know, it's just no big deal. They're floating around in the pond. And it's so close to where we were when we were on the farm. We moved off temporarily. But when I would go outside to get in my car, I would have to bend down and look under my SUV oh my God. before I got in. And it's like, it, that's like mind-boggling almost. I'm I'm looking for an alligator because if I have one that come, that came to nest up under there, because I'm so close to the flooded water, I wasn't about to get my ankles bitten. It's just ridiculous that that's reality, but it's yeah. reality. Yeah, I heard a comedian one time. I mean, since we're here in Utah, I heard a comedian one time say how we should stop calling mountain lions, right? Because that's what we have primarily out here. We have mountain lions and we have bear, um, but. He said, we should stop calling mountain lions mountain lions and just call them lions. If you told people you're going outside and you're going to possibly get eaten by a lion and you told them how many there are in a, in a square mile, I, I think people would stay indoors. But since we're not trying to scare the crap out of little kids and we're not talking about lions, tigers, bears, ligers. Uh, oh, my. Yeah. Oh, my. Exactly. Uh, let's talk about getting kids involved in the great outdoors. So. What age did you first introduce, say, like your eight-year-old into the great outdoors? Like what was like one of the first activities? Oh, gosh. From, I mean, from birth, I had them outside. For me, it was a sanity. You know, like I said, I grew up rural. And so nature was just part of our life. And so I needed sunshine. I needed to be outside. She was outside with me. The day passed so much quicker. And I, I didn't, at that time, I didn't have the outlet of of what I have now and the work that I get to do in the creative space. I was, I was somebody who had just come out of 12 years of school where I was the big go-getter and then four years of college where it was the same thing and then was found myself on a farm with a baby. Kind of, you know, everybody's at work during the day, so very mm -hmm. isolated and just trying to figure that, that out. And the outside was therapy. And so she came along with me. And, and as the way that my mind works and just the way that I am, that's when I started figuring out how to introduce them, um, how to do things safely with children. And as the season shifted, we just adapted. So it was very, it was a very natural process for us. And as far as your upbringing in the great outdoors, um, when you were younger, what was your first lesson that you can recall or remember as a kid? Because one, one thing that we can all do, and it doesn't matter if you are a seasoned outdoors person, if you are a hunter, fisherman, if you're someone who's never gone outside, uh, we can always use ourselves as a metric, right? Mm -hmm. We can always use our own personal experience and say, I want to do it better. I want to do it a little bit more clearly, right? So what was your first experience in the great outdoors that you recall? Like it was a learning experience. You know, I, I think one of my earliest memories, so I don't, I don't like snakes and we have lots of venomous snakes where we're at. 
and we have lots of ponds and waterways. Um, I'm in Southwest, so there's lots of bayous in that area. And that's where the venomous snakes are going to hang out. We're talking copperheads. We have some rattlers, mainly um, like water moccasins. And I didn't like snakes, but I also, I don't like fearing anything. And I didn't want it to get in the way of play and just that that innocence that you have as a child. Mm -hmm. And so I remember getting a book out and looking at the habitats of where these snakes lived. Um, (laughs) I told you before I was weird. I am so weird. Like, could you imagine a six-year-old doing this, like looking through these books? Um, And I wanted to know, like, what do the different grasses look like? Because grass looks different when it grows in a place where it's normally damp and wet than it does where it's drier. And that's not something that you just basically notice and can point out the difference in unless Mm -hmm. you consciously have been taught. So I knew what grass to look out for. It's a wet area there. That's where the snakes will most likely be because they do. They like to stay in the in the wet areas. And so, I mean, at six years old, I remember going forward from there and and you can't unsee what you see. So I immediately would notice the transition in the grasses and I would just avoid those areas. Yeah, I think that that's very unique. Um, I think most people who don't like snakes might have had a bad experience with them. Like they found out that the brown stick bites back. Um, so that's that's very, very unique. My background, my dad taught me a lot when I was a kid. And something that was taught very, very early on, even though I was a crazy, crazy fan of like He-Man, G.I. Joe, and believe it or not, they actually had... Uh, action figures that were based on the Rambo movie and they had a cartoon that was meant for kids based on all the Rambos Um, but even though I had like toy guns toy knives in my dad's eyes he said they're not toys right like you don't walk outside with one of these in the front yard unless you want to get shot Uh, you don't point them at people like he was totally fine with me pointing at like the television screen or playing playing war and things like that but he said you know these guns are real guns right Mm -hmm. and that prepared me for when I got my first air rifle and it prepared me for when I got my first 22 rifle. I had all this experience built in of not pointing guns at people, not pointing them at myself. Um, I mean, my, my dad, you know, being Filipino knife culture, there are certain things you don't do even with a toy knife. And that was all ingrained in me. And I remember as a little kid, the knife was a great teaching point. Um, because it, when I got my first one, it meant that I had a level of maturity that my dad trusted me. Absolutely. And, I, and a question that always comes up, and it's something that people might want to might want to hear, is, well, what age is appropriate to give a kid a first knife? And I always tell people, it's not age, it's maturity, because you have people who are in their 20s and 30s that act like idiots around anything dangerous, but you could have a kid in a... I'll bring up the indigenous populations around the world, say like in the Yaquana tribe, you know, in South America, that's been handling machetes since they were old enough to pick it up mm-hmm. and they're totally responsible with it. So I think that's something in terms of bringing kids into the great outdoors. It's it's sometimes a, a factor of age. Sometimes it's a factor of maturity, but I would say it's more important that whatever you're trying to introduce the kid to they really have to demonstrate that they're ready for it mentally, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and I think it, 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 with anything, and you'll hear me say this over and over again, anytime you listen to any of the content I produce when it comes to teaching children, is there's a process. And the first process is introducing them to the words, to the vernacular of that topic. They need to know what it means to cut. They need to know what the blade is. They need, 
you can't expect a child to just know these things off the cuff. They don't. Or what they perceive it to be could be wrong. They could have been taught very wrong. And so you you have to navigate that first. Teach them the words. Show them the item. Walk them through the pieces. And then you move on. And I call that pegs. And it's mm-hmm. it, that's kind of part of the classical curriculum. Those are like memory pegs. And then once you establish that, you move on to the next step where you take your thread and you weave it between the pegs and you're showing them the processes. You're explaining to them how to utilize it. You're having them demonstrate it for you. And so they can they can come up with a with a beautiful creation woven from the memory pegs and then the introduction to what ties it all together. Yeah, that's something in the... Um, public education field, uh, we would call like Bloom's taxonomy, right? Like you start off with very basic level information. Uh, For those of you that are, you know, products of education like that, you know, you probably had like a vocab list that you had to go to the back of the book or find it online and define words before you would use the words in a sentence, before you would use those sentences and say like a paper. And as your knowledge gets uh, a little bit deeper, you're able to do more complex tasks. Mm -hmm. So um, there are so many things in, in the great outdoors that are fantastic teaching tools. You mentioned your kids with cordage before, right? With Mm -hmm. like learning knots and whatnot. I mean, there are so many visual guides that even if a kid can't read what the name of a particular knot is, they can follow with a a piece of cordage and say like a a visual diagram, how to tie something. So Mm -hmm. that's a, a very easy skill to introduce the kids at a very young age is, is how to, um, is how to, create knots and and how to make cordage off the land if if need be. Um, So that's one that I recommend for people all the time. And they're good small wins. Yes. You know, and and that's so important too is give them those small wins so that they feel confident and encouraged and then they move forward. And that builds maturity. I mean, it really does. And then they see the value in that. They're experiencing the value of that. You're taking that, that glossary and you're, you're animating it. It's real to them. Do you ever have your kids go on like a scavenger hunt and you tell them, hey, you have to find X number of this, X number of that? Yes, we do. It's such a good way to pass the time, especially on a day where maybe everybody's feeling tired or, or you know, when they start to be nitpicky with one another after a while. Um, just nature, like scavenging around nature. And I mean, we'll, I've taught them... I've taught them rather quickly what dangerous plants are because we have so much poison ivy and poison oak uh, where we're at. And so I, f- I feel confident letting them go out there just because they've had the, the basis of that education. But sometimes I'll even have them wear gloves and I'll make them, you know, find put on your gloves and go find me some poison ivy. And mm-hmm. Let's review it together because I want you to be sure you know what you're seeing when you're in the woods. There was an old, old tradition, and I do not recommend this for anyone to try this at home, but I'm still going to talk about it because I've said this in courses. There are people who swear by uh, using poison ivy to immunize themselves against poison ivy, where what they would do, and this we're talking like old timers here. Um, my You're mentor Marty used to talk about this. yourself against yeah, poison he, ivy. He said that he used to find the first poison ivy leaf every single season, tiny one, it's real small, and he would ingest it. And he said that over time, he built up an immunity to poison ivy. And on plant walks, he would pick it up with his hands, he'd, and he'd hold it, and he'd be like, ah, oh, whatever, it's just poison ivy. And he never got it. 
Um, now, I do not recommend people to ingest poison ivy. It's a great way to put yourself in the hospital. Um, and definitely never burn poison ivy because mm-hmm. it'll get in your lungs and you'll be in the hospital uh, where all the COVID people are. You don't want to be there. Um, <laughs> you know, the backwoods swamp people that mm-hmm. alligator hunt and all of those different things in Louisiana, a lot of times will do the same thing with cotton mouths, which are water moccasins. Right. They'll give themselves a little bit of venom over a, a long period of time until they become immune against the venom. And I've never encountered cottonmouths in the swamp, um, I, but I will tell you, uh, I know that they're highly aggressive and they'll chase you, right? Yeah. It sounds like just like a like the drivers that we have here in Utah. <laughs> have you, I mean, you just got here and you're in the rental, right? Mm-hmm. Like, have you noticed the driving on the highways and well, it, it's been a little slow because it's been snowing the whole time. That's true. But yeah, it's only 70 miles per hour, not 90. Like last time I was is. here, though, I was Kevin was driving me up to Salt Lake City and he was like, oh, man, that driver's here. Yeah. He always says how he's driven all over the world. And he said that he's never seen drivers so aggressive as in Utah. <laughs> and I mean, he's been all over the Middle East and places that we probably can't talk about. It's like some um, cotton mouths. Exactly. Trying to run so the basically road. you've got cotton mouth drivers here. Mm-hmm. Um, but now getting back to the kids, we talked about knives, right? Like the idea that it's maturity dependent. We talked about cordage, how cordage is relatively safe, but there are other skills that I think little kids need to know early on. Um, Something that is brought up in the Gavin DeBecker book, The Gift of Fear, which every person listening needs to read that book. It's on Kevin Estella's must read books for all ages, all people. He said that uh, if a kid ever gets lost, instead of telling them to go find a police officer, find a mother or find a mom. And it's because what a child believes, especially a younger kid who hasn't had a lot of experience, what a child believes a police officer to be is a person that they see with a badge on. But a person with a badge could be a security guard. And no offense to the security guards that are listening because I know plenty that are good people. There are those of you among the security guard ranks who have prior convictions that prevented them from becoming police officers. So Gavin DeBecker believes that if you send them to find someone who's a mother or motherly, you're sending them to someone who's less likely to hurt the child knowing that that child's lost. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you come up with any ways of of teaching your kids like any loss protocols or anything like that? Like, yeah, we, so we use, I call it a safe adult and a safe adult, you know, there's a pace plan with the safe adults, but it starts with a mom. They're just nurturing and you have much more success with that. Um, the children, if we're in um, a large area, let's say an airport or a museum, anywhere like that, they have their backpacks in their backpacks are their safety cards. So, and from as soon as I can, I start teaching them my full name, my husband's full name, and at least one of our phone numbers. Um, and they're normally mentally able to do that around five, starting at about five. Uh, I mean, your full name a lot younger, but the phone number at around five, maybe before that if you're consistent with it. Um, And they know if they can't find me, they find a safe adult. They either show them their identification card or if they're capable, they say, can you call my mom? Her name's Amber and this is her number. Um, And then they also have their whistles. So they have a way to signal. That's pretty much the basis. Okay, so I'm just going to take a second to interrupt this broadcast uh, and tell you a little bit about something. It's called the Stereo app. Uh, we want to let you know that we're going to start to do live shows on this app called Stereo. And it's available on the App Store and Google Play Store. Um, it makes it 
easy for us to be able to engage with you uh, since you can listen to us live and even participate in question and answer shows with us. Um, be sure to check it out, guys. It's a relatively new concept and we're pretty damn excited to be able to engage with you even more. So if you want to find it, uh, look for uh, us on stereo at Fieldcraft. Now that is at F-I-E-L-D-C-R-A-F-T. Check it out. Yeah, and the whistle is something that's often overlooked. I mean, a lot of kids probably don't like the idea of carrying a whistle because they might feel like they're a nerd or something, but whistles are super lightweight. They, they're extremely compact. You can tuck them away. And if you try yelling over and over and over, you're going to strain your, your larynx. You can blow a whistle. You can't overblow most whistles. And as long as you're breathing, you can create a signal. You can create a lot of noise that someone is going to be alerted to. Um, it's something that I think should be in every kid's emergency kit or survival kit for when they go off to school or when they're, you know, around their friends, they should know where their, their whistle is. Um, now and some, you can get the small metal mm -hmm. ones. I mean, they're literally, they're tiny. Yeah. Uh, like you're talking about like a, like a Vargo, like a titanium one or yeah, something like that. Yeah, you put it on uh, jacket zippers. Yeah. I've got, I've got the Acme Thunderer whistle in my, my pocket right now. And I'll, that whistle is, it's annoying it's like just straight up obnoxious which is a good thing but nothing sounds like it correct correct um, and you'll actually be able to hear a whistle much further through the woods than a human voice um, you mentioned with a podcast with Mike the other day about the trash bag idea yeah um, so I want to I want to talk about that for a second I love it, it, it <laughs> it's it's great and I highly recommend if folks are are interested in this when we're done talking about it I'll tell you where you can find it but the trash bag idea is is very simple. It's if you know that you're lost and you need to spend the night somewhere, you can purchase a, a trash bag, either a 55 gallon bag if you're not worried about visibility, or they actually make very high visible, uh, high visibility trash bags in orange and in blue, like tarp blue, uh, which you can see from thousands of feet up in the air. And basically, you just put the tarp over your entire body. There's a head hole so you don't suffocate yourself, and it's a great moisture barrier, and it allows you to work you know, use your arms in your workspace in, it's much easier to control than say trying to put just a, an emergency blanket around you that you're constantly fighting with the wind that's trying to get underneath the blanket and working as a sail to rip it apart. But inside that trash bag, it's actually very wind resistant. So, um, that idea is from Peter Kummerfelt. He's a former, uh, SEER instructor, and I highly recommend you guys check him out. Because that's something, again, all these, all these items that I'm recommending, cordage, whistle, trash bag, your kid is not getting in trouble if they go to school with them in, your ba in their backpack. And many backpacks have like a small compartment for like a hydration bladder or there's like an access panel to get to the clothes foam where you can, it provides a support for the backpack. And you can easily layer stuff inside there behind that. So uh, yeah, the, the website is outdoorsafe.blogspot.com. Dot com and again it's Peter Comerfelt. Um he also recommends hot cocoa, which great morale booster. Hell yeah. Um protein from have the you ever milk tried powder. hot cocoa with chili powder? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's called Mexican hot cocoa or Aztec hot cocoa. Um it, it's hot cocoa that warms you three or four times. The initial warmth comes from the actual temperature of the beverage. The secondary warmth comes from when the cayenne pepper starts warming up. The tertiary 
warmth comes from when the sugar and when the fat starts to metabolize. So if you haven't tried it, a little dabble do you. You don't need a lot of cayenne pepper, but I will tell you it's it's awesome. Yeah. And so for a visual, this is a contractor bag that you buy at any hardware store, probably, I mean, even Walmart. And then you just cut, you physically on your own cut a hole out of one of the corners at the top. Yeah. And you could, if you have small kids, you could put them essentially in the bag with you and just let everybody get some, you're, you're having oxygen coming into the bag. And then another tip he had was if it's super brutal, you just put another one mm -hmm. up under your feet and you create this double walled safe enclosure yeah and the the one on your feet goes up first and then the one over your head goes on second that way it's like a shingling effect you're not filling up the one at your feet with a bunch of water um and they are so small super small cheap uh totally totally worth it um and i still show that to adults mm -hmm. it's not age restricted just for kids this is something that every adult could do should do and yeah you might look like a little bit of a weenie doing mm -hmm. it but you're going to be alive you'll in the morning. You'll be warm. Yeah, you'll be alive in the morning. Um, so now we're kind of picking our way here through different skill sets and, and items that kids should have. So we, we mentioned knives being age appropriate, cordage. We talked about the whistle for signaling, your safe plan for kids uh, to find a, an appropriate adult, some shelter. What about water? Um, now, this is an opportunity to teach your kids about like bacteria and For bringing sure. in your, your background yeah. as a nurse. I mean, how did you teach your kids about that and, and what are you providing them with? So it was a really good way to introduce them to the concept that they will not be able to see everything that's alive with the naked eye. And we have a microscope at home. And so I'm able to get samples of pond water and different things for them to look at through the microscope so they can see that there's things alive in there. There's organics in there. Um, and so then we discuss how all of these different things, even though they're so tiny, when we think about even the chemical and the molecular makeup of our body, think about how important all of our cells are. Think about how important this bacteria is to this water and how much it can hurt your tummy and um, just how important it is to safely procure their food and their water. And then that leads into the discussion of hygiene. So it's it's pretty simple to teach and it's really fun. It's, it's easy. I mean, you can go and, and find water in a ditch. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty easy to find a way to... Um, carry out this type of discussion and and um, experience with your children even if you live on a tiny 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 plot of concrete yeah in in a decade ago i taught a, a hebrew school in new haven connecticut um about water procurement and i thought it was going to be like a total flop of a lesson i mean sometimes as a teacher you kind of go into things being like oh my god these kids are going to hate this but what we did was we took a clear two liter bottle, we uh, created a filter system, and it gave me an opportunity to tell them the difference between filtered water, purified water. Uh, we were able to take this nasty, nasty New Haven pond water that was green, it had algae in it, and using uh, a series of like charcoal and sand and pebbles and grass, mm -hmm. these kids had a chance to really get their hands dirty making this filter, and they were, I mean, to the dismay of the of the the camp counselors, these kids are walking into the water, collecting this nasty water, pouring it through the filter, and they loved it. They loved watching it go in one color and, and coming out another. Um, so, I mean, there's so many opportunities with kids. Something that you touched upon was talking about hurting your tummy as opposed to this will kill you. <laughs> the uh, giardia in here will affect your yeah. It'll, it'll <laughs> kill you in a different way, other than that mm -hmm. that alligator will. 
Um, well, you have to bring yourself down to the level of a child and correct. you have to start small so that they get it. They grasp the concept, you know? And, and I just told my, or my assistant instructor from this past weekend at the sawmill uh, said something to me that I, I said in passing, which I didn't realize it, it resonated with him, but he said, it's absolutely true in all respects. He said, when you, even when you teach a, an adult, you have to talk to them like they're a 10 year old kid, mm-hmm. because we assume that adults know everything and sometimes working in simplistic terms really, really helps drive a lesson home. So mm-hmm. this will hurt your tummy. <laughs> um, I have no problem saying that to like a big meat eater dude being like, do you want a tummy ache? Don't don't drink that water. Yeah, um, and they carry Sawyer minis in their backpack awesome. and we've used them. I mean, we brought them up to Yellowstone this summer and in, when we were down in the Tetons, they needed some water and mm-hmm. we were like, hey, rather than have them pull out their water bottle, like let me let me get them to, let's practice some water collection. Like let's find water flowing over a rock and you, it's moving, it's not stagnant. And they collected their water and they collect, connected their little Sawyer minis to it and they drank some water. So yeah, just giving them that experience, such a rich rich thing giving them experience giving them power Mm -hmm. um there is a show on netflix uh the toys that made us and i mentioned as a kid i love playing with he-man and i listened to the toy designers on that show and they said well what what kids were fascinated by in play sessions were they loved being in control well if you think about what he-man was he-man was the tagline the master of the universe Mm -hmm. So these kids had a chance to be the master of something. They had a chance to have power in a world where there are adults that are bigger. There are adults that can drive places that they can't. They, when you give a kid power, you will see that power transform that kid into a, a, a more capable individual. They'll, they'll start looking at things differently. Um, it's something that, that parents are typically afraid to do. Um, one of my good friends says, anytime that you hear a parent say, well, I'm not ready to teach my kid that just yet. He always says, um, well, I will teach the kid whenever they ask because I don't want to keep them dumber longer. Mm -hmm. Um, and knowledge is power, right? Um, I just worry sometimes like certain kids, you know, maybe they're, they're not emotionally ready for that. Um, but I think that comes down to the delivery from the parent, right? And there's always a way to create an elementary version of something. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes it's like, actually they need that gentle introduction to this concept because this is a very big concept for their little their little minds you're gonna call them a pea brain weren't you no i would never call kids that she's she's nodding her head yes i am not i love children um now you grew up on a farm or i'm sorry you're on a farm now so these kids are getting brought up on a farm Mm -hmm. have you ever seen the poster that says everything i need to know in life you can learn on a farm Mm -hmm. yeah so do you want to talk about that like what are kids exposed to on a farm because i think more kids should spend time on a farm to just see where food comes from and so forth. But yeah, for sure. I think one of the most important concepts is learning to listen because on a farm, if you don't listen, it could be a matter of life or death. There's heavy machinery. There's lots of dangers. So listening and, and taking people seriously is very important. And you learn that quickly because if not, you get hurt. It's really important. And so I, I think that's been a big one because I really want them to be able to listen, um, to navigate. So to navigate various situations so that I feel confident, you know, I mean, I drove up here with my kids back in August when we were evacuating from Hurricane Laura. I, I want to feel like I can do things like that with my mm-hmm. kids and that, oh, I can't because my, my kids don't listen or I can't take them here because they won't listen and it'd be embarrassing or it'd just be too difficult. Like, no, I don't want to lose out on those experiences. Um, so that's been important. Obviously, 
just knowing where their food comes from, understanding the processes of life. You know, obviously losing animals is hard, but when they learn that that, that these animals were sent here to provide for us and to nurture us and to nourish us, I mean, sorry, um, it, it becomes easier for them and it becomes really an understandable topic and they're not so displaced from the food system. That's so dangerous. Yeah, I've heard a, a friend say on a farm, you learn the concept of fragility and you also learn the concept of grit. Mm -hmm. uh, fragility in that life is so very fragile. So how do we take steps to harden ourselves to a to so many things around uh, around us that can hurt us? Um, how do we deal with emotional setbacks, spiritual setbacks, things like that? And then the concept of grit, I think every kid needs to learn the value of hard work. Absolutely. And on a farm, uh, you don't have a choice. <laughs> you don't have a choice, right? Like if you want food, you got to go out there and you got to you got to work hard. You got to you got to move things around. Um, and the sense of accomplishment. Correct. Correct. And, and a, a tangible sense of accomplishment, not just at, say, like a school where they're doing busy work, but to be able to physically see something that they've done. Um, I think another really important concept when it comes to teaching kids about survival is the concept of failure. Um, now, I don't, I don't like, uh, I don't like using the term failure um, because I believe in in positive words, right? I believe Absolutely. in in saying that I didn't win uh, or I learned, but growth opportunities. Exactly. Like, it's the same reason why I say I have a strong hand. I have another strong hand. I will never call my left hand my weak hand because. In sparring and in, in, in martial arts, I've hit people with this left hand, and I know that they're not saying that they're, I'm hitting them lightly, but I think it's important for a kid to learn the concept of failure, to get beaten down somewhere. And I mean, this sounds terrible as like we're talking about teaching kids, but I think they need, and maybe it happens in adulthood, you need to get beaten down. You need to... You need to experience hardship at some point in your life because that comes back to that concept of pressure. That pressure will will help them grow um, and develop critical thinking. Yeah. Now I know I know time is is short here. I know we've got someone else in the queue. Uh, very British expression, right? In the queue. <laughs> um, but I saved the best question for last. Playing with nervous? fire. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Playing with fire. Play I like this one. Okay, here we go. All right. So now as a little kid, I learned how to strike matches. As a little kid, I remember my dad bought me a lighter and he's like, here's your lighter. And I remember I went through all that fuel in that lighter in about 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. I, like, I, I burned so much with that lighter and it was great. And, and my dad used to always say, if we get lost, he goes, I have no qualms about lighting this entire forest on fire so we get found. And if fire rescue shows up, I'll be like, did you see this fire? But we'll know that we're <laughs> saved. How do you, like, how have you done it? Um, I know this is controversial and I think you just have to agree to disagree with people, but we don't, we are very much, um, hands-on the kid, like that's how I raise the kids and, and they are adventuring by themselves. And I am trying to teach them at a young age because I want them to have such a rich experience and understanding mm -hmm. of these things. And that really starts with them understanding it at a young, impressionable age. And so we give them access to fire. My son carries a lighter. My husband removes the safety guard from Good. it so he can light it As easily. As he should. Um, but it's a constant conversation. And this is just like with gun safety. There's guns in our house. There's lighters. There's matches in our house. There's no way to get around it. My children are very curious. And if it's forbidden fruit, they're going to find a way to play with it. It's not forbidden fruit. It is something that you need permission to play with. 
And as they grow and develop, they won't necessarily need permission because I'll know that they know how to be safe. But my friends will come over and we'll get the sap from the pine tree in mm-hmm. the very middle. You know, it's so flammable. And he'll take out his knife, which he's allowed to carry, and he'll shave a little bit off. And they'll start a fire in the rocks right behind the house and, and play. And I love that for them. And I know that's terrifying for some people. And like my mother-in-law tells me, y- you better make sure they know not to get matches when they come to my house. But... And they do. And that's a conversation we have constantly. And we talk about the dangers of fire and we show them the dangers of fire. And we, and, and it's a very, it's a very big and constant discussion, but they are allowed access to it. And you know something, that approach is very much like the approach that parents in Europe uh, take with their kids with alcohol, right? When alcohol is at the dinner table, when you have say like a glass of wine or it's available to you. And at a young age, you probably sip it and you're like, oh, this is disgusting. It doesn't taste like grape juice. Um, then the curiosity is gone. Right. And that's something that I think is what gets kids into a lot of trouble when, I mean, you mentioned the, the firearm safety. Imagine if you have a family who hides firearms and what they do, and you are actually denying your kids knowledge at this point. And now suddenly these kids are exposed to it at an an older age and exposed to it when all their hormones are firing and they can't make sense of the world around them. And they're confused and they're just, they're, they're frustrated. And now they look to this tool that they've never known before. And now they have access to it somehow, somewhere, maybe legally, maybe illegally, most likely illegally. And that's where you get into trouble with with this generation. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a positive note, um, I know time is short. We were just talking before we jumped on about what's coming up with Fieldcraft. And I mentioned to you how at some point this spring, this summer, we want to do an introduction to car camping event, uh, maybe in multiple places around the country. Now, this event would allow adults and kids to attend we would do our best. I'm going to try really hard not to curse. I'll put on my teacher hat again so I don't use any four-letter words I'm not supposed to. I believe in you. What's that? I believe in you. I, You know, I believe in myself sometimes too, but, you know, I, I tend to uh, let it slip every once in a while. So we're going to try to do an introduction to car camping course where kids can learn alongside with their parents, build the tribe. Um, you know, it, it's important to, to have that shared hardship and fire and food to, to build the tribe. So we're going to try to do that. Um and hopefully you'll be able to attend because that one will be in South Carolina. I don't know how long of a drive it would be for you, but uh, that would be a perfect opportunity to to share your passions, which I think are incredibly valuable. And I think people, you know, would benefit from just getting a chance to hang out with you and and, and seeing how you do, do things with your kids. Maybe the moms will feel compelled to come. Well, if Mike Glover is there, you know, you, you know, Mike Glover has got a, you know, He's got, he's got a way with words, and, and I know that... Uh, Come on, the moms are coming for me. What are you talking about? Well, it's it's that half-Asian charm. I mean, mm. come on. So, uh, yeah, it, I think I think it's going to be an incredible event. I think with uh, with the parents, with the kids there, with the fieldcraft instructors, I think it's, it's going to be a great venue. Such good bonding. It, it really will be. Um, and meeting people that have the same mindset as you, it's such a morale booster. And that's the type of event where you could leave things out most likely and you'll never have to worry about things getting stolen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll never have to worry about someone. Just good and wholesome. And that's the way it should be, which I think we've strayed pretty far from there in this country, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> so we're going to cut this one a little bit short um, because you've got a podcast someone. Um yeah. Maybe we could give like a little teaser. I don't know if this is going to fall in succession with the other, but who are you going to be 
podcasting. So we have this lovely young adult and she is an advocate for concealed carry and self-defense and she just graduated from college and that is a demographic that we don't hear a lot from and I am just so encouraged by her and proud of her and I barely even know her and I just want the world to hear from her about what that looked like. That's fantastic. Um, we're talking about teaching kids. I would hardly call someone that just graduated from college a kid, but <laughs> you know, uh, let's just put it this way. We're teaching the younger generations. Yes. That's a, that's a nicer way to say it. So uh, for those of you that are looking to find us uh, with Fieldcraft, you can find us at Fieldcraft Survival on Instagram. Uh, if you're looking for me, Kevin Estella, I'm on Instagram at Estella Wild Ed. That's simply short for Estella Wilderness Education, which is my former company. I'm not saying that I'm wilded. That's what a lot of people think it means. Um, and Amber, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at missms.amber.lelle. And you can find my family preparedness content at Fieldcraft and fieldcraft.locals.com. And hopefully we will find you around the campfire at that family camping event at the sawmill later this year. With hot cocoa. With hot cocoa. <laughs> with just a dash of, of cayenne pepper. All right, guys, uh, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, just remember, you may be your own first responder. All right, guys, and that wraps up today's episode of the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. And one more time, I just wanted to remind you guys about the Stereo app. Um, you can find it on the App Store and on Google Play Store. Uh, you can listen to us do a live conversation uh, as well as listen to any Q&A shows that we're doing. Uh, it's a great way to listen in and engage with us real time. Um, check us out on the Stereo app. Search at Fieldcraft. Again, that is at Fieldcraft. Uh, and if you're listening to this, it's Monday morning. And so Monday morning at 10 a.m., which is for you early risers, this is probably a little after, uh, maybe some of you a little bit before, but if not, it is starting today, Monday morning, and you can listen to Kevin Owens and Kevin Estella talk about action versus reaction. We've got a video coming out on that, and then they're going to be doing this stereo podcast to talk to you guys about it. So check it out. Take care, guys.